Hi, this is Matt Leventhal from Compass and Nail, and I'm here with Craig Wilson, founder of Compass and Nail and author of the book, The Compass and the Nail. Yeah, it's, uh, so we're, uh, we're hosting a, a weekly podcast and covering a lot of the topics in the book, and uh, some of the central themes of the book are how principles drive uh, loyalty and create resonance between customers and brands. And with us today, we have Tim Rohn, who is one of the partners in a small bike shop in a little town called Ojai. There's bike shops called The Mob Shop. And they have uh, a pretty interesting story to tell, and one that is actually um, creating lots of buzz, at least in the town of Ojai, and it is a very principally-based business. So, Yeah, so why don't you guys kick off because i i actually don't know how you guys met i mean at patagonia but um well we met uh we actually met post patagonia um at uh one of our local hangouts right next to the bike shop that uh tim was eventually to become part owner in hmm. at uh a little organic food place and we started sharing our past stories of patagonia there uh there you go. Exactly. Yeah. Or, uh, actually, Craig, uh, you, you, maybe you don't remember. We actually met at Patagonia briefly, like once. Wow. Yeah. Once. Yeah. And it was when I was, um, when I was still, um, managing the Upper West Side store in New York and I happened to be in California for, and it was a sales meeting or a manager's meeting or uh, something like uh, that. And you had given presentation and we met, we met then and I couldn't tell you exactly when that was, but. It was really brief, yeah. Gotcha. And then you came, uh, you came and started working in PR. Yeah. Yep. Came to came west from uh, New York City, and in 2007, and started doing yeah, um, mostly public relations or uh, around around the product, which was pretty interesting at that time, um, because Patagonia was just starting to make a a big, really big push. Um, uh, after Yvonne's book came out, um, mm. made a really big push, um, starting to really talk about the the um, sustainability or sustainable attributes of their their product. So it was kind of a fun time to be in there. Yeah, that was a really informative moment. Is that the "Let My People Go Surfing" book? Yeah, "Let My People Go Surfing," yeah. and then um, what I was going to say closely followed, but followed probably. Two two and a half years later, by the first um, uh, Footprint Chronicles, oh, okay. the first version of it. Right. Well, the, of... Uh, the "Let My People Go Surfing" was the milestone moment for me because um, when that came out, that identified the seventeen design principles. Oh, okay, and we had a uh, I don't know a a hangout with Yvonne Day where like he just <laughs> sat around and talked about. Um, those principles and how they came to be and anybody could stop in and ask him questions and hmm. I think that was one of the moments when I realized that the company was all driven by these principles that were thought out well in advance yeah um, and over time not as though they had them baked at the beginning but over time they developed them and packaging them all up in a book and and getting them in one place was a pretty significant moment at least yeah. for those of us working there to yeah. figure out how the thing operated it's yeah. amazing on watching it develop from the outside how long it actually took them to start talking about those values and principles. Because as a as a consumer looking at it, it was 
it kind of felt like that was always there. But for you guys on the inside, it, it actually sounds like it came quite a bit later. Yeah, there was there was some. It's funny that that you say you felt like it was always there because um, uh, I think I think that that's actually it's actually sort of a it was sort of a I don't, I don't want to say a rarity, but it was not common for people that purchased Patagonia. Um, well, I was going to say prior to the book, but maybe not that much prior to the book. You know, maybe. Uh, maybe a couple years prior to the book, it started to be more present, but you know, people weren't really, weren't, I mean, there, there was an inkling maybe, but it wasn't really for a lot of people. It didn't really matter. It was more about the brand and, and it's, um, it's sort of, um, uh, yeah, well, no, it's, it's exclusivity. Um, and you saw that and, you know, um, certainly saw that in New York. Um, on the Upper West Side and in Soho, it was less about the adventure side of things and more about about how special the product was, and that if you owned a Patagonia jacket, you that was something special. Yeah, you had to kind of earn your product. Yeah, it was uh, it was not the easiest thing to access. It was uh, back in the day, it was hard to access and hard to get yeah. uh, a connection actually to a place to sell it or to purchase it. And you know it's it's funny when I first went there in way back in 1998 uh I felt like there were just a few people that owned all of those principles inside their heads yeah and that they were intuitive things for them that <clears throat> the rest of us had to learn or you know maybe we had our own intuitions about things but we had to really understand how those things came to uh, manifest in communications and in the product and then when he started writing things down and getting the book and then we realized the history of things and right and how that intuition got actually built into real principles the same right. thing happened with the mission statement and the cause as they went on these these retreats to discuss it and try and figure out really what was what was the truth behind it and what it is that they were trying to do because over the years there were lots of forks in the road and each time they faced a significant fork in the road they had to make these significant decisions and so they were very thoughtful I thought that as a as an ownership group um, and all the influential people on the board they would spend a significant amount of time talking about the the principles upon which they're going to operate and where they draw the line in the sand to make a you know a choice organic cotton was one of those big choices but sure yeah, so present day now, Tim, you are now living and breathing that exact same thing, being an intuitive uh, shop owner. Yeah, I'm actually curious how you, what was that jump like for you? Because you were at Patagonia during a, a pretty exciting time when you made the jump, right? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I was, I left there. It's it's kind of it's kind of sensitive, you know. I, you don't want to throw it under the bus, but uh, I left there. Um, not necessarily uh, of my own accord. It was time for me to go, and I and I realize that now. And I would say that that yeah, it was really interesting, an interesting time to be there. And it's, it's, it was interesting to you know have the privilege to be a part of part of the the eight and a half years that I worked there was was 
from, you know, from the perspective of when I first was hired, I was hired as a temporary sales associate. I didn't think I'd be doing retail. And then it just kind of evolved from there all the way, you know, and then managing a store and then doing um, public relations at, at HQ. I, um, the, the, the breadth of perspective that I got from, from the customer all the way up to, um, all the way up to, uh, storytelling, um, and, and really promoting the brand and, and, uh, understanding what it was, was great and fun and, and interesting. And so when I, when I left, it was, I was, um, <laughs> needless to say at the time, a bit relieved and a bit heartbroken at the same time and, uh, floated a little bit here and there, um, did a little consulting here and there, um, worked in the nonprofit world for a minute. And the whole time I would always ridden or cycled for, or cross training. I was more of a runner. And when I came to California, I bought, bought a, my first great, really great road bike and started to get more and more into it. And it actually, during that time of transition was a, you know, cycling became this huge escape, this huge stress reliever and, and just became more and more and more part of my life. Like running had been, you know, I'd always, always felt that desire for, to get out and, and just escape. But cycling kind of took the place of running for me. And, and then I met through riding, met my now former business partner, Greg and current business partner, Kelly. Kelly had the shop at that point in time had been up and running for a couple of years. Uh, and, uh, Greg and Kelly were talking about moving to a bigger space. Um, and <laughs> I uh, have to interrupt about the bigger space. Yes. This bike shop started in a, the back of a pool supply store, <laughs> a very off the beaten path neighborhood in yeah. Ojai. And um, my kids were little at the time and we would go in there and he, we'd have our bikes repaired. And then he actually let my kids build bikes and they both built their own bikes in the back of the pool store. And he was taking in used bikes, rebuilding them and selling them or just operating a repair shop. And that's where it started. Then it moved across the street into a little bit bigger space, which is a little <laughs> bit more formal, only because it didn't have pool supplies in it anymore. And, uh, <laughs> and, then, um, and then they had the crazy idea to take over a, uh, and I, I think this is, the, this is the transitive moment or the, the moment that Tim's talking about. Yeah. Um, to take over a, a, a defunct and inoperable gasoline station in downtown Ohio that was an eyesore ever since I moved in, I think for 10 years, it, I don't know how long it was subsisted, but 17 years, 17, 17 years, years, it was abandoned. Yeah. Yeah. And it's right downtown in the heart of the city. And it's just this huge eyesore in this beautiful little city and uh, or a little town, not a city town. And, uh, anyhow, they've recreated it into a bicycle shop. So they, uh, that was quite the ordeal, but it's, uh, it's, um, it's quite a center in the middle of town now. So sorry, Tim. How no, not at all. Yeah, it's, it's exactly, I was there. <clears throat> I came, I came around probably about a year, a year and two or three months before we actually made that move. So I was there, I was, I arrived, I arrived on the scene <laughs> just <laughs> as, just as, uh, Kelly had made initial contact with the landlord. Right. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, we worked through that process, uh, process of getting the building and, um, and then building it out over the next year ish or year or so, um, a little longer and then open the new space on, uh, June 1st, 2012. 
um, from from my point of view, it was really it's been really fun watching and and participating to little tiny extents along the way. Um, but there's been this this I, I wouldn't say it's a necessarily a solidified vision of what it is supposed to be. But you know, going back to the discussion about Patagonia and their principles. Mm. Uh, this was a very much a, a, a an endeavor to do the right thing, I guess. If there's yeah. a there's an element of getting people on bicycles in any shape or form, and any any human that can be on a, a human powered wheeled vehicle, <laughs> I think that's the the mission for these guys. And it's just been this steady plugging away with that driving them and when you talk to people in the community because Ojai is a pretty small town and so everybody at least is in some form recognizing one another um, you know the word on the street is that they're just really nice people that want to get people on bicycles and that is manifest in all sorts of different ways and um, and the current store is exactly like that it's a very eclectic store and it sits in the midst of a of an old gas station um so it's it's a beautiful juxtaposition i guess did you guys did you guys discuss those values is that what you guys the three of you united around in the beginning or did it happen organically were there conversations about it oh yeah there are definitely conversations about it i um um you know i i i hesitate to say that it was um that it was um, very organized. Uh, I would say it was. I would say we we were all um, we were all put. We're pushing in a similar direction. Um, we all understood. Um, I mean, we all you know. There's there's a whole whole range of of sort of reasons why we do what we do. As Craig mentioned, it's a, it's an eclectic mix of bikes, um, which is just a reflection of how we feel about cycling really um uh but so i would say that we all we all came to it you know knowing that we we love to ride and we you know we're not just floating around town on our commuters we do that but we also love to ride really hard and <laughs> and get out and have fun i mean it's a it's a it's a a kick for us it's you know um it's something that we all feel called to do um, and, uh, it's a big part of our lives. Um, but, um, so there was the, there was the love of the sport, but then there was also, um, fr from, I, I think it's safe to say from everyone's point of view, um, um, uh, including Craig's, um, it was a, it was exactly what Craig said. It was a desire to help people understand that a bike could be a really significant part of their life and should be a significant part of their life um, from just because of the of all the all the many benefits that it that it offered someone you know from health to um, um, being a sustainable mode of transportation um, to saving money to um, you know a plethora of other things that I could Problem. Yeah, mental health, physical health, yeah, it, uh, the whole, it's the whole package. And I see them, I, it's, I mean, what the trajectory here is, how many, how many years has this been 
happening is the decade. Is it a decade? That it's that it's been in operation. This yeah, since op- Kelly. Uh, no, not quite. It's it's coming on. So two thousand nine. So yeah, coming on. Uh, my math sucks right now. Six years. Yeah, and so watching watching it evolve has been this tug of that thing. So that intuitive principle at at work has been pulling them and creating the thing that exists today, and it continues to evolve. And I think that what they're trying to do now is very much uh, create a, a construct so that the shop and they as people can be more of not just a resource and which is kind of a cliche thing but more of an inspiration by what they're doing and providing and and educating around because you know we did we did a bit of a of of the process here um that's captured in in the book and we talked to the customers and one of the things that the the customers really want is that helping hand to make cycling easier and more comfortable and not as scary. And so they, you know, they work with the city, they're trying to get bike paths in and they're creating educational programs and they have a host of bikes that make it easy for anybody to go in and, and find something that works for them. So it's a, it's a pretty cool thing to, if you had a, a time lapse of it, it would, you'd really see that principle and that work. A time lapse might a time lapse would be scary. <laughs> It'd be pretty crazy. There's a one one broken bike. What it is today? Awesome. Were there were there no other bike shops in town, or when did you think you guys were onto something, or start to feel like there was a there was support for what you were doing? There there um there is, it was is an existing bike shop in town that it has been around for I, I believe twenty plus years. Um, or longer, um, uh, through a couple different owners. Um, uh, you know, I mean, uh, so K- Kelly, I think Kelly founded the shop be- because he, you know, his, his, um, I believe pure desire was to just get people on bikes. He wasn't. And then, and then the rest of what I just talked about, I think maybe, maybe evolved out of that. Um, but, uh, uh, he he did it over in Miners Oaks um, because Miners Oaks, which is the neighboring community, didn't didn't have a shop, and um, he just yeah he was just trying to help help an area uh, um, yeah help an area kind of become more engaged. He recognized that it was it was a, a great thing to do. Um, I don't know that we um, you know I. I uh, I think we looked at the, looked at the other shop and said, okay, well, great. It's a little, it's a little shop. Um, uh, I think at one point in time, maybe they were a bit more active in the community, but we, we weren't seeing that, um, and, um, anymore. And we, we felt like this town and this area was beautiful and, and, um, and very accessible and, and, um, a great place to ride um year round and we and ohi has this um this feeling about itself uh that it's a a very progressive place uh um and 
I feel like in many ways it is, and I feel like in other ways it's held back. And I feel like, you know, cycling was, was one of those ways in which it was held back. It thought of itself as, as very forward thinking in terms of cycling and that a lot of people rode, but not really. Um, and I think, you know, we, we wanted to see that change. We wanted to see, see this valley become more, become an example, you know, become what it thought it was, uh, which is this, this mecca for sustainability. Um, and, um, and it's actually kind of goes to what was what Craig was saying about the benefits of the bike where, you know, uh, this reputation as, as, um, um, spiritual place, um, where you're taking care of your, your mental and your physical health. And, um, you know, you, you come to, you come to sort of step away and re-engage with yourself. Um, and so we felt like, we felt like that, you know, maybe cycling was needed to be a bigger part of that or should be a bigger part of that. Um, um, and was the, was the right thing, you know, was the, was the right fit for that, that reputation and that, that, um, uh, spirit for lack of a better word. What's interesting to me, you know, this is something you talk a lot about often and often and a lot about Craig is, is that idea of, you know, if you guys were to just look around and say, well, there's another bike shop, so we shouldn't open a bike shop. And that, that, that tendency for companies, whether big or small to look around and say, well, there already is one, mm -hmm. um, and, and then stop, um, and instead say, well, what are we about? And, and, and how can we service the customer differently? because right. of who we are and what our purpose is. Yeah, yeah, what's super interesting about that is the other bike shop, you know, I don't know how everybody's doing success-wise, but it's they're you know, they're coexisting yeah. and they they service different things and they have very different points of view about cycling and so, you know, I think it's attracting different people to both both locations. Um, which is nat that's the natural the natural way of things. I think people see how one one entity is thinking and another entity is thinking and the one that thinks like them is the one that they're attracted to and and uh and the other one has people that it's attracted to it so competitors can coexist and right. and you don't have to monopolize uh a space or a, a category or uh even a city block necessarily right so, and I mean, in a guys, way, you guys, I think you guys are doing a, a a good job, and I think you have designs on doing a much better job of defining that further and further. Like they've got, they've done the homework to have that well defined, and now it's really finding the bandwidth to express it more and more and more. Which is that thing again, going back to looking at Patagonia and and seeing it over time. You know, back in the early days, it wasn't expressed always overtly and now they've gotten so well honed at the expression of those principles that um it's really clear so yeah. you guys are in the midst of that yeah for sure for sure so, so something you mentioned there craig is, is is on the on the going forward there and and what you what you want to accomplish and what the vision is um and not that you have to give away the <laughs> the secret sauce of what's the combo what, you know how has it how has the perspective changed and, and as you hone these you know where does the vision go and 
and and view of what you know could normally be viewed as just a small shop and sure you know combined with with craig's vision he shared of um making ohio a more sustainable place where there aren't cars or you know these yeah. far less cars or maybe just the tourists have cars yeah yeah well i mean you know i and i think that maybe the the best way to describe it i mean there's lots of so of course lots of little um little side avenues to take but i think the best way to describe what we're trying to do is is um actually craig alluded to it before is to create um an experience that um that inspires people so and there's there's a, several different ways to do that um the most basic way for us uh i think is to um as funny as it sounds is to be able to offer um really great rental bikes not your not your typical you know rent a bike hope it doesn't fall apart kind of thing but you know stuff that's maintained well that's actually aesthetically beautiful um it's fun to ride um easy to ride easy to understand and um I feel like, you know, at a very, at a very, um, in a very basic way, I like to think that, you know, you know, one to three out of 10 people that come here and rent a bike that don't ride on a regular basis, they have such a great experience that they decide to go home and buy a bike and start riding. Um, you know, or that's what I would hope. I would hope that all 10 would do that. But I, um, we, we're trying to create the gateway, you know, and so at the very basic level, right, someone rents a bike at, at the most advanced level, um, you know, they roll into our shop and we throw them on a, on, um, a bike that is, is made, you know, of materials that are, uh, the most as responsible as they can be, um, that are, um, that perform well that um, so they go out and they ride this bike and it blows their mind and they come back and they, they get one from us. And um, you know, we have a whole experience with them where we help them fit the bike and we build the bike for them and we send it to them and we make sure it, we make sure it's the right thing for them. Um, so um, yeah, there's like, as I said, a lot of different side side streets to take on this, but I think, again, the most, the most basic idea is that we, we want, we would like to create an experience here, um, and expand off of that, um, help people engage with, with cycling. Yeah. What we, uh, what we found out when we talked to their, to their existing and fairly enthusiastic loyal customers for the mob shop was, um, was that entry point of, of having a positive experience on the bike. And that can be an uncomfortable seat being discouraging or the wrong fit or something that's, uh, you know, if you if you didn't grow up riding a bicycle for when you were a little kid and kept at it consistently, getting on a lot of these bikes is a disconcerting experience. And, and the customers express that, you know, they want to enter into something that's, that they can control, that they feel they're not going to, hurt themselves it's comfortable that the clothing is either you know somehow it's comfortable and without looking like like a, a race bike rider or something and 
and that it's safe to get on the street. And there's this whole host of things. Women, well, sorry to be a ridiculous comment, but your hair and putting helmets on. It's, uh, I only say that because my wife hates wearing a helmet. She's like, that makes my head sweaty. I don't like a, a helmet. And so, well, you have to ride a helmet with a helmet. So what's the helmet? Are there helmets <laughs> that, are, that are not, you know, I've been wearing a helmet for so long, it doesn't, I feel really comfortable with it, but someone who's new to it, it feels uncomfortable and it, and it makes it feel odd. So what's the solution for the helmet? What's the solution for the shoes? And I think that's where you, you look at, at the grander mission of things and getting people on bicycles, being really sensitive to what their experience is, just walking in the front door of that store versus walking in the front door of every other bicycle shop that's run by a bunch of people that are similar to Kelly and, and Tim in that they have this enthusiasm and that they're really, really great cyclists, but they don't let that become the narrowness of their experience with their customers. They're greeting customers across whatever, wherever that place that customer is coming from, they're greeting them at that spot and then hoping to find out a way to walk them into this activity um, because it's, it's such a, it's such a positive thing for everything, people, humanity, everything, or the environment. It's, it's a positive for all things. And so being cognizant of all of those fears of every one of those customers walking in the door, and they all have it. Even the avid cyclists have a fear of looking cool or smart or knowing what the hip thing is. And I think that the atmosphere that they've created is this really welcoming, uh, inclusive place that can accommodate the 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 extreme avid person and someone who hasn't been on a bike for 20 years and wants to start riding again because you know the doctor said you need to exercise so that's a it's a really fascinating thing to understand all of that and and then have them be operating from that perspective and how do you operate from that perspective especially having a small shop where Although it's small, you're not the only person servicing clients and you have to kind of pass these principles and values to sure. you know, the, the employees who are maybe part-time or yeah. you know, have other things going on in their life. And especially, I mean, I lived in a resort town and usually, um, you know, the, the people working at the shop are, <laughs> you know, usually pretty hardcore and, you know, maybe the, the average person coming in to rent a bike or, you know, rent anything else is... is um, you know, they don't speak the same language. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would say it's, uh, as with any business, it's one of the biggest challenges we face. Um, I, I, um, you know, from my own perspective, I, I just try to lead by example and I try to, when, when something happens that is, you know, kind of pointed at that principle, um, I say that's that's what we want. That right there is what we want. We want to we want to not duplicate, but we want to we want to emulate that over and over and over again. We we need to, you know, we need to um, um, I'm trying to think of an example of uh, something recent. Um, and nothing's popping into my head. But um, when someone when someone starts, if, yeah. if you get a new employee, is sure. it a, is it a sit down and, and you say, 
you know, this is how we operate. This is how, these are these are the steps you go through when someone comes in. This is how you fit them to a bite. Is there a training around it? Is there? There's, yeah, it's it's you know, being a small company, there's a loose there's loose training right now. It kind of happens. It kind of happens. You know, trial by trial by fire with some assistance. I mean, we're not throwing people in, in into the flames. We're just we're just kind of like, hey, watch you know, watch how this person does it. Watch how I do it. Watch how Kelly does it. Um, and, you know, gather, garner the best style for you from that. But generally, um, you know, we set the example of really of kindness. I mean, I, you know, I think Craig alluded to that uh, in our first business plan. One of our strategic um, advantages was that we were nice. Um, seriously, that was it said. We're just we're, nice. we're not like other bike shops. We're nice. And and to us, that was a competitive advantage. Um, uh, and I think that holds, I mean, we hear it all the time. I was, I was, yeah, just yesterday I had a guy walk in at the end of the day. Um, and I was in the middle of something on the computer. I was, uh, I don't remember even what it was. And our water cooler happens to be right next to like, we have a little closed off area where we, we, um, take an inventory and process orders and just kind of, if we need to like step off the floor and actually do some work, but still want to be on the floor, that's where we do it. And uh, this customer who's, you know, he's, he's fairly regular. I, I wouldn't have known his name if he didn't tell me, but I recognize his face, stops in every once in a while. And he's at the water cooler getting water. He'd asked if he could have water. And someone said, of course, you know, go ahead and get it. And he just kind of, uh, he said, hey, I have a quick question for you. And I kind of, I, you know, knew him enough to say, just jokingly, I said, okay, only one question. If you ask, ask me more, then it's going to cost a lot of money. Um, and he, he kind of giggled and uh, he asked a, you know, question about entry level road bikes. Um, and instead of saying to him, well, yeah, you could get you, you could get this entry level carbon road bike, but man, this one, this one would be better. You know, you should really step it up and spend twice as much money. Um, I listened to what he said, but he gave me a budget number, and I said, I said, you know, you you could do this entry level carbon road bike, but what I would do, or what I would consider, is maybe an aluminum road bike, or um, you know, get a get a better get something that's a little bit better, um, has a little bit better components and, and maybe, you know, instead of just putting more, um, more inexpensive carbon into the world, maybe consider this other thing because carbon, you know, really in road bikes, it's, it's okay at the $2,000 level, but really you have to get to like the high threes, low fours before it becomes a decent, in my opinion, a decent product. Um, and he just turned to me and he said, you know, you guys are so great. And I said, thanks. And he goes, yeah, you just listened to what I said. And I was like, yeah, of course. That's what we like to do. We like to listen. We like to hear what people are saying. And, and he said, uh, he said I, just, I just really appreciate that. I want you to know that, that you didn't just try to sell me something crazy. And I was like, well, you're welcome. And he goes, I'll see you soon. I was like, right on, man. I, and I just, I think that we try to instill that in everybody. We're not necessarily, you know, we're, we're just honest. We're not necessarily out to, you know, like Craig said, we're, we want to meet people where they're at. 
we want to say, okay, well, this is where you're at. This is this is where you're at. This is what you've asked me. I think this will work for you. And if I and if I feel like you're maybe as a customer, maybe you you need to learn a little bit more before you make a decision. I'll say that too. I'll say you need to go in a different direction here. You need to think about this because because of X, X, and X, and let them make the decision. And I think that's you know kind of the way we approach things. We listen. We hear people. We're we're kind. We say hi when someone walks in and. We just try to be kind, and that, that, I think, goes a long way. Incredibly powerful and incredibly simple. Yeah. Yeah, but they know they, they have a, a very good sense of why they're there, you know, and I think that's where that comes from. If they were, if they were servicing the high-end cyclists only, like most bike shops are doing, and then kind of placating to the, the entry-level people or you know, identifying people as, oh, you're a commuter or you're this or you're that, then it would, it, it would be a, a difficult experience for the consumer because they're, but because these guys are, are wanting to get anybody and everybody riding it. I mean, they put people on a pretty broad grouping of, of, of bicycles to suit their needs and get them, get them riding. And it's, that's not an easy task. That's not yeah. the. That's not necessarily the most obvious thing to do. No, as I, you know, as I'm, as I'm listening to myself talk and you guys talk, um, I, I, um, you know, I, I, I think about shops that that um, specialize that say we're a road shop, we're a mountain shop, we're this, we're that, we're the other thing, and I, I feel like their their evolution or their customer base is identified a lot more quickly and they they maybe initially anyway grow a lot more quickly um especially if they're really good at that specific thing i think we have grown more slowly and grown and and it's taken more time to find our customer base because we do such a broad range of things but i don't i can't really imagine doing it any other way i don't yeah i don't think that i'd want to do it any other way i think that uh it would make me. It would make me sad to have to say to someone I don't. I can't sell you the bike that you want, you know, or I can't sell you something that's going to work for you, um, or find you something that's going to work for you. Uh, so I, yeah, I don't think there's for us. I don't think there's another way to do it. It's funny to me because in, when we talk about the customer activation cycle that's in the book, Craig, there's it can get very sophisticated of segmenting customers and giving them the right message at the right place to the right segment of customer. But in a way you guys have boiled that down to such a, such a simple um, way of operating by just listening to people. Yeah. And because you are a shop and because you, you can physically be there with the person, you can physically listen to them. Um, you can, you can understand where they are in that, in that, in that cycle. Mm -hmm. And see if they're beginning or in the middle or, you know, an expert and a cheerleader of, of the mob shop. And, right. you know, what you, what you did right there was just turn someone from a, from a casual into a loyalist, which is, um, can be incredibly difficult for companies. But yet it could also just be so simple. And it really comes down to listening and, and yeah. understanding who they are and where they are. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We hope everyone enjoyed our first podcast and big thanks to Tim and the mob shop for both his time and for doing what they're doing in the little town of Ojai. 
Um, we'll be back next week. We'll see you all soon. Thanks for listening.